move while you can, travel while you can, because there'll come a point in life where you can't. Hey everyone, and welcome to Sports Arty Snippets. I'm Liz Waluka, a registered dietitian and board certified specialist in sports dietetics. Every Wednesday, I'll be bringing you a sports dietitian guest that will share advice, insight, and rewards of the profession. Snippets of their own career path to becoming a sports RD. Hey everyone, welcome back to Sports RD Snippets. It is October 5th at 6.53 p.m. This episode comes out tomorrow, but it will be today if you're listening on October 6th. And yeah, we're we're going. I mean, this is um is everyone tired out there? Like I don't I don't know why like lately I like want to say something and like have people say like, "Yeah, I'm tired." Or <laughs> So yeah, I don't know. I feel like everyone's tired, but not like in a negative way and like, "Hey, yay, like we're working hard and we're tired." You know, like a good good hard working tired situation. But anyways, I am so excited to have Alicia Kendig Glass on today because she is talking all about her role with the U.S. OPC and shares behind the scenes of fueling Olympians at Tokyo, Rio, and the London Olympic Games. And she also shares great advice for early RDs that want to move to their next opportunity. USOC Senior Sports Dietitian, Certified Specialist in Sports Dietetics, Alicia Glass, is in her 10th year working for the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee. She provides nutrition support and services at home and on the road during domestic and international travel for the USA track and field and USA swimming national teams and athletes. Before that, she spent time with and lent her expertise to the Winter Olympic Sports at the USOPC and worked at U.S. Anti-Doping Agency to educate athletes on the risks of dietary supplement use and benefits of fine-tuned nutrition plans. Glass holds a bachelor's degree in nutrition and a master's degree in public health nutrition from Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio. Let's jump in and let's meet Alicia. Hi, Alicia. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have you. I was just thinking, I was like, oh, like the Olympics were like four weeks ago, but it's been like two months, right? It's crazy. It's crazy. It all goes by in a blur and then your recovery and your rest afterwards goes by in a blur. So yeah, I can't believe it. I'm so excited to jump in because I've been wanting to interview you for a while. And I know I told you before we started recording, but I feel like there's only so many dietitians that go to the Olympics and how many Olympics have you been to? That was my third, and third. but okay. then I had a para games also in London. Ooh. Yeah, okay. very cool. But I'm sure they've all been different, and I just feel like so many people. There's so many sports dietitians, but not many get to experience not only just working with Olympians but going to the Olympics. So I'm just super excited to interview you today. Well, I can't wait to talk about it. All um, the exciting parts. We're also laughing because obviously I start these episodes off with how I know each other, but we actually don't. Well, I knew of you because did you speak with Rob Skinner at CPSDA? Was that 2017 or 16? I think it was 2016. I was right after the games, but that is my claim to fame. I presented with Rob Skinner. 
Wait, that was after the games? It was right after because I remember Rob and I were like rushing to put together the talk. Like it was our first presentation where we had put together all our pictures and really put in one PowerPoint everything that happened with the games planning and the games on the ground and recovering from the games. So yeah. That's awesome. You just say that was your claim to fame with Rob. Yes. Just being attached to Rob Skinner. Well, I remembered it. I remembered like when I think of that, I think of you and Rob. I'll never forget though too. He was so like, whatever, it'll be great. And I was like, no, Rob, we're going to be on stage. Like we have to have this all together. Like I don't want to get up there and mess up, but he was like, it's fine. It was good. I remember it. (laughs) All right, so let's jump in. Can you take us to your career path up until this point where you started and where you are today? Sure. Yeah. So um, I can't believe I've been doing this for 15 years. I've been a dietitian for 15 years. I swear I was that newbie, you know, walking into my first office and and being a dietitian. I can't believe it's been that long, but um, I went to Case Western Reserve in Cleveland, Ohio. A lot of people think that that means I was military, but No, it's a big engineering and medical school in Cleveland, Ohio. I was pre-med and I really thought I wanted to do medical school, but halfway through school, you quickly realize you either really want to do that or you don't. And nutrition was pre-med option. Um, Talking to the advisors at the time, they said, if you stay here to get your master's, we'll choose you for the RD rotation and you choose us and it'll be this great thing. And at the time, I didn't really know how that coordinated matching thing happened. And so I just listened. And the reason I think that that's a huge part of my career path is that, um, yes, I got my MSRD very quickly. Um, I fast-tracked, but I really wish I would have changed locations and I would have gotten a different environment and I would have had a different ex- different exposure to a different university or sport program. Um, and I can talk about that later. But um, after school, moved out to Colorado, there was a coaching company, um, endurance coaching company. And at the time they were in their heyday because Lance Armstrong was their prime athlete, Carmichael Training Systems. And um, I give them all of the credit for hiring on a dietitian that just wrote their RD exam, just got their RD and knew nothing about, I mean, sport dietetics. I mean, at the time, CSSD had just came out. So I just got my RD, but there's no formal way to get your CSSD. Um, And so four years I put in there, um, I trained under one dietitian, but then she left soon after I got there. And then I kind of wrote it out until the 2008 crash of the economy. And again, that was like a humbling, Mm. um, nutrition was so great when people had money. And then when the economy had the downward spiral, nutrition was something that a lot of places cut. And so as easy as it was to walk in the doors of Carmichael and get that experience, um, quickly I was again in that spot of trying to figure out what am I gonna do next? And I remember my, my dad at the time said, you know, have plan D ready because plan A, B, C did not work. So now you gotta figure out D. And um, I'm a true believer, it's all who you know. Um, I was an athlete in college. And, um, you know, I was in the the conference with Emory and NYU and um, the UAA, and I I truly believe every step of the way where I've gotten jobs has been due to somebody that I knew in the athletic world of the UAA. And so, um, you know, I know people have like their tentacles in a bunch of different directions, but um, I really feel like that's how I got hired um, in a bunch of different places and um, including at USOPC and then brought on at USA Swimming. Um, so all of it was, it was, yes, it was work ethic and doing a good job, but it also too was, you know, kind of 
um, having a good reputation and people that knew that, you know, if they spoke for you, that bringing on someone would be, uh, it would be a good investment if they knew that person and could speak to them. So um, I put some time in at USADA after Carmichael and um, I call them the dark years just because it wasn't really that exciting. Um, I sat in a cubicle and I, I cranked out content. And, um, but I really, I give a lot of my experience in dietary supplements as a reason why maybe I had a niche at the USOPC when I was hired. Um, you know, it was, it was uh, the time where they created the Supplement 411 website. Uh, they created that dietary supplement handbook um, that a lot of times our athletes in the registered testing pool are given as just an information gathering resource. Um, but I was in the right place at the right time. And then um, after interviewing three times at the USOPC, uh, they finally, for um, whatever reason, again, I, I wasn't hired for the job I interviewed for, but they created a job for me. So um, they, they were hiring for the combat and acrobat dietitian, which was a lot of making weight sports that that dietitian would be working with. I had no experience in that, but I interviewed and I studied and I prepared for it. And um, in the end, they hired someone that turned out to be one of my best friends and one of the um, bridesmaids in my wedding. But um, I was the winter sport dietitian and very quickly moved over to the summer sport just because that's where my passion is. And I don't ice skate. I don't do a lot of this. I mean, I snowboard, but yeah, no, my, my niche is in summer sport. And so that's where I've been for, gosh, a while now. But um, I love it and um, very passionate about what I do. Amazing. Not to get like depressing, but do you have any advice for like, when you talk about the dark years about people who feel like, you know, they're in that cubicle right now, like what's your biggest advice there? For people oh my gosh. Make the best out of the time. Um, I can honestly say like, I, I didn't love, well, I wasn't meeting with athletes face to face. Like the whole reason that we're dietitians, a lot of it is because we like to work with people and we like to work with athletes. And I just wasn't getting that. And so that's what the big struggle was. I was learning so much about an area of sport dietetics that I felt like up until that point, I was just telling athletes to make sure that they were in line with what USADA rules were. Like, that's what I would tell them. Like, just make sure that you're doing everything that USADA says, or make sure that there's no banned substances in that dietary supplement, but good luck. Um, I was learning the ins and outs of the dietary supplement industry. And I mean, and, and I would, at the time we were talking to all of the third-party testing groups, we were asking them all the questions. Like there weren't any go-to resources that summarized how to compare one of those places against the next one. So we were in the thick of it. And, um, I do, um, I do value all the information that I was forced to learn. Cause it, it, it just was a time for me to slow down and really kind of get into the nitty gritty. So I would say anybody sitting in that dark cubicle, it's like there, there is a purpose for the slowing down and just plowing through the information that's not that exciting because you can use it later for sure. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Like something I've kind of realized is like things that maybe I didn't even realize like weren't put into use like year one or two, they, I put time into them and I never thought about it, but then they came back to life at year three and four. And I'm like, wow, like that really Yep. like mattered at the time, but you just don't know. So that's really good advice. I really like that. Um, can you talk about like your day-to-day, -day, your role working at the USOC, I'm going to mess it up, USOPC and just your role with your athletes day-to-day, -day, anything you want to share about your role? Sure. Yeah. And yes, the USOC changed recently to the USOPC to include Paralympics in our title. Um, and a lot of people don't know that. So they ask me questions about that all the time. But uh, my day-to-days, 
you know, sitting here in almost October versus April, it's a huge difference, just like seasons at the NCAA setting. Um, right now, we have athletes that are just kind of coming back after the games. And so I have less direct athlete consults and have more. Um, I was just on a six hour conference call where we're talking about what resources we're going to be offering to the different sports going into this new quad. And the quad is every four years leading into the next games. Okay, so um, part, of, part of what the USOPC does is they provide, yes, they provide funding, but they also provide resources. And so a lot of times sports science provision and the providers and the time and all of the programs, um, that is what the USOPC gives a lot of our sports. And so we're right now, we're just talking about how much do we give to each one? How did they do at the Olympics? Where can they do better? And so I would say that that's where a lot of my time and investment of um, experience goes into being a senior level dietitian. We're kind of in some of those higher level discussions where we're talking about I mean, it would very, be very similar to what, uh, you know, an NCAA senior level dietitian would be doing in terms of talking about the budget and kind of having the bigger picture um, perspective um, and the historic, historical experience to say, hey, this is what we did in the past and maybe we should try something different. Um, I would say that's a lot of what's taking up my time now. But once we get into November, December, January, definitely be getting more into the athlete interaction stuff, which we all love. And um, getting back into some travel. A lot of our travel, most of the season is domestic, but then it starts becoming international where we start going to where the athletes are competing at world championships and a lot of the other big meets and competitions internationally. Yeah, because I feel like most people, they just see the Olympics on TV and don't, you know, that they're like, well, what, is, what do they do in between year one and four or the in-betweens? Is there a lot of traveling or just, yeah, what is kind of just take me through that. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's always this balance. It's this balance of like, yes, you want to be needed and you want to be on the road all the time and you want to be supporting athletes every place that they're going. But, um, you know, at the, at the Olympic level, we, we all have our assigned sports that we're, in, in, we're responsible for. And, um, you know, I, I, the combat and acrobat job comes to mind because they have, they have smaller sports in terms of athlete size, but they have more of them in that grouping of, of sports. And so, you know, to try to be on the road with all those sports all the time, like it, you wouldn't be home ever. So you kind of have to prioritize which, which sports you go to, which competition it is, and is it a, is it a really good investment of your time? Um, for me, in my group, I have track and field and swimming that are, I just have two sports that are my main focus, however, you know, swimming usually has around 80 athletes that travel on a team and then their, their um, athlete or their coaches and staff and then track and field, it's like 120 and then their staff. So my two sports are smaller in terms of number, but the athlete headcount is a lot bigger. So it's just like a different workload, you know? So, um, and then my job too, is to oversee a couple small sports. And typically what I do there is I try to find um, contractors or dietitians that are local to where those NGBs are. And I assign them, you know, Hey, could you work with this high level athlete or, um, Hey, th this, this sport wants to travel with a dietitian. Is there a, a dietitian that'd be interested in traveling? So, um, I kind of farm it out, but oversee the process of finding the right fit. That's really cool. Can you talk about the Olympics fueling athletes, just the behind the scenes, working with swimming track and field, and then you're, you're with a bunch of sports dietitians out there. I mean, what is that world like? And is it glamorous? Is it not <laughs> just anything there? 
Well, I always say inefficiency is the name of the game at the Olympics because, um, you know, you're setting up an at-home high-performance-like feel at an Olympic Games where nothing is permanent, like everything is set it up and then tear it down. Um, so, you know, we, we do a lot of planning, obviously, in advance of the Games. Um, as soon as the host city is named, it's seven years out that a host city is named. And as soon as that city is named, we have our games operations group that they'll go in and they'll try to find a university that we can contract out and we take over the university, just as an example, um, to have our high performance facility. And so that's always a big thing. And we have a nutrition set up in that high performance center. Um, so that level of planning all the way up to like, um, what are the shelf stable foods that we're going to ship over? And we usually ship them by boat. This year, um, remember the Suez Canal debacle when like all the boats got like stopped up in the Suez Canal? Do you remember hearing about this? No. Totally unrelated, but it impacted us in our Olympic planning oh. so that we had to air freight all of our food that we shipped over to the Olympics. So there's so much logistical challenges that go into planning for um, hosting a big games for our Olympic delegation um, in another country. And so for, for Tokyo, um, you know, some of the things that we're, we're challenging, you know, their, their um, customs and getting food into the country was challenging. We had to have so much documentation to ship like a can of tuna. Um, you know, uh, the heat and humidity was something that we were really concerned about making sure we were prepared for. So, you know, do we have enough chest freezers for the ice vests to be frozen in overnight? And for all the athletes that are gonna be using the ice vests, are we gonna be able to freeze them all? Um, you know, uh, also talking about like in advance, like before COVID even happened, we were talking about, well, how are we gonna get around? Um, can we take coolers on the subways in Japan? Well, they're packed like people to people to people, like there, there's no room for a cooler. So how are we gonna get around? Um, if we use taxis, how long is it gonna take? Because everybody knows having an individual car takes forever. So most of our planning is all logistical and it's to get ready to be um, in country, getting on the ground and realizing none of that applies because everything's totally different. So. Um, I think it's a lot of planning and then it's being nimble and being aware that you might have to pivot and you might have to replan and you might have to do things completely differently. So um, one, once the games start, we are true dietitians doing the fueling, recovery, hydration, food service, food safety, all that good stuff. But in advance of it, it's a lot of logistics. Um, and um, I always say we're the ones that are solely focused on making sure that the athletes are fed. Otherwise, it's kind of an afterthought. People don't really think about it and have it as like a, an agenda item in some of these bigger meetings, but we make sure that it's all figured out. So plan D is usually what happens. Yes. You could, you could ask Sean Hugel, she and I were preparing food in the basement of our, of our building um, because there was no other place for the nutrition set up. So, and we were happy to have that little corner in the basement of our building, but I mean, it's nutrition wasn't part of that plan. What was it like, you know, I forget now because it feels like so long ago when the Olympics were postponed and just leading up to that and then being able to go a year later and see your athletes like succeed. I mean, was that kind of like indescribable, just kind of what, like going from that to then seeing just some sort of closure on such, yeah. you know, um, I'll never forget. I mean, the, the, the 
uh, first prelim session where like the first race went off, it was just like this wave of relief. Like we are doing it. This is happening. (laughs) It is finally happening. Um, Because I think, I mean, we all felt it in some way where you just wanted to be able to provide an environment for the athletes to compete and to actually see the results of their hard work. And this, this year, year and a half, that was just so hard. Everybody was in isolation and everybody was pursuing something that was just so hard to actually pull off, whether that be like daily practice or um, having, you know, a competitive meet season or actually traveling to the end of the season stuff. So it was um, when we finally got to the end of the games. um, And, and for me, it was, when swimming finally ended, they finished their competition and track and field started. Oh. For me, it was, I was so scared of, of being the provider that crossed over between the two teams that would have been linked to an outbreak of COVID because I was with one team and then I was crossing over to working with another team. Most of our sports were in like a bubble. I was, I mean, the, the USOPC providers were the ones that were kind of crossing over and we were doing whatever we could to, you know, provide support to all the teams. So it was once swimming was done and I could just focus on track and field and I didn't have that crossover concern or worry about COVID. That's when I could like, just relax a little bit, just in terms of like feeling like, okay, I'm not going to be, you know, the person that that's getting the finger pointed at them. If that makes any sense. Yeah. How many diet, how many sports dietitians are, were out there? Is it like, oh my gosh, 20 is it? You can just give me a range. I'm just curious. No, like (laughs) 10. 10. Okay. Well, I didn't know. Team, team USA delegation. I'm guessing, I'm guessing like 10. It was somewhere around that. And I remember when I was a beginner newbie dietitian, baby dietitian at the USOC back in 2012. And it was at that time it was USOC. I remember we sat in the kitchen of one of the senior dietitians and we put together this master plan of how are we going to convince the USOC that dietitians needed to travel to the Olympic games? Because the way that they had planned it out, not one dietitian was slated to be at the Olympics. And so, um, you know, to, to have around 10, whatever the final number was, dietitians running around feeding Team USA. And it, I mean, we all know how it is. It's never enough. You always try to take yeah. on just a little bit more. Yeah. Um, it was a huge success um, just to have that level of support, um, especially in a hot, humid, COVID type of environment. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by Momentus. If you're like me, you definitely had athletes who've experienced the annoying gas, bloating, and discomfort that can come after taking some brands of protein powders. As we know, bloating can be a sign that your body isn't processing the powder correctly and you're likely peeing out most of it because your gut can't absorb it. But with our friends at Momentus, that isn't the case. And this is because they've included a special patent enzyme blend in their whey protein that eliminates gas, bloating, and makes your protein more bioavailable. The enzyme blend in Momentus is called Prohydrolase, and it's been tested in research against other enzymes. It has been proven to actually deliver more amino acids in your bloodstream, which means you fully absorb the protein. Don't you want to make sure your athletes are actually getting the protein they're paying for? Momentus definitely does, and your athletes will notice a difference. They won't feel uncomfortable after they take it, and they'll definitely take their recovery to the next level. Check out their website at livemomentous.com and use the code RDSnippets at checkout for 20% off your order of $40 or more. That's R-D-S-N-I-P-P-E-T-S. 
Thank you so much to Momentus for sponsoring this episode. So you've been to London, Rio, Tokyo. I mean, obviously COVID made Tokyo very challenging and difficult, but what are, anything that you've learned from just working so many Olympic games or just any like lessons you want to share from your experiences? Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say, like I said, the, the first thing that comes to mind is inefficiency, but just having grace in knowing that that's just the way that it is, you know? And um, just being okay with, um, if something hasn't been thought through, that it's okay to raise the concern because you're doing it on behalf of the athletes and having the athletes feel comfortable and ready to perform. Um, so I think it doesn't matter where in the world we are, um, you know, something as simple as, can we get some chocolate milk for the athletes? Well, bringing in a pallet of chocolate milk doesn't happen unless it's scheduled. It doesn't happen if you have a, don't have a forklift. It doesn't happen if you don't have a place to source it from. And when you're in an international country, like, I know that's one thing working with swimming and track and field, like, it's not like I can just go to the grocery store and buy some because our group of 80 to 120 athletes will clear that out in less than a session. So it's finding a sustainable source of whatever the food is. And so um, I think you gotta be forward thinking. And then also too, figuring out, is it worth the money to ship something? Because I mean, shipping a pallet of food in itself is $1,600, not even talking about the cost of the food. Um, is it worth it to ship some, some foods or can we just make do and figure something out in country? And at the Olympic games, a lot of times is like, no, these athletes need to have this. So we're going to ship it. Um, but, um, you know, I think that wherever you are in the world is trying to figure out that like the cost versus the actual, is this really all that important? And I don't know, you just got to come up with an answer and go with it. <laughs> I think de depending on who you ask, like a non dietitian person would be like, no, it's not worth that money. <laughs> but a dietitian would say it's absolutely worth it to have chocolate milk at the end of a match or whatever the case is. Yeah. Do most Olympians like during like an Olympic games, will they, do they kind of have their nutrition like buttoned down or like, or is it more like they will come find you and ask you questions or is it, is it, how is it, is it more of the food service or is it like stop and go counseling? Like what, it, how, what's the environment kind of like? Gosh, I, th I think as any dietitian will find, like every athlete is different. So, I mean, I would say swimming for the most part is dialed, I would say, but I mean, there are times where, you know, we had, we had an athlete this past games that um, I truly believe he was just, he was nervous. And every time I saw him eating, he was like inhaling, hmm. like, like mechanically just inhaling food. And yes, he needed to eat a lot. Like he was a larger body sized athlete and he was, he was competing a number of times, but it caught up to him because after one of the events he swam, like he had really severe GI upset mm -hmm. and it was just like cramping. It was just like his stomach was, it wasn't diarrhea. It wasn't food safety stuff. It was, I truly, he was just inhaling food and it was like, okay, dude, yes, this is your first Olympics, but you need to relax. Like <laughs> you need to relax. And so I talked to his coach about like, Make sure he's like taking time to eat. Make sure that he's mindful of how fast he's eating. Like, I mean, these are some of these simple things, but for some of these athletes that you think have so much experience, like the gate into the Olympic games is something totally new. Um, so, you know, an athlete like that who seems dialed and then it's the actual execution that's different. Um, that's one example. Um, I mean, everybody has these athletes that it's like, 
I don't know how we got this far without any recovery nutrition, you know, like, so, you know, some of our track and field athletes, like, I remember I'll, I'll walk up to them and I'll say, did you get your recovery in? And they're like, what do you mean? I was like, well, did you get any carbohydrate, any protein? And what? No, I don't do that. It's like, oh, we're at the Olympic games, you're going for a medal and you don't do recovery nutrition. Okay. Um, and, you know, I think that's something else that's kind of worth noting is that we have athletes that, yeah, they're on the fast track and they're on our radar to make it to the Olympics, but then you have the outside shot. They had the race of their life at trials and they're on the team. Right. Okay. So, so it's not all like of a sudden your roof for like, you know, four yes. years. Oh, okay. I always forget about yeah. that. And, and I think too, in the pandemic, like usually you would have interactions with those athletes at least once or twice throughout the year as they're like rising so fast. But this year, I mean, we had so many athletes that like, it was like, oh, we got to ch- check the roster. Where are they from? Oh, okay. Good for him. It's not like you've had a relationship with them for like four, right. Okay. We had a lot more of those this time around. That's interesting. Well, it's interesting to think about that. Like if you're an Olympian, if you're at that high of a level, it's like, you would think, okay, maybe they would take their nutrition really seriously. But then it's also like, if you're that good and maybe you've never had to dial in on your nutrition, why would you ever dial in if you're that exactly. good? Until you exactly. get injured, but. Yep. <laughs> it's crazy. Any advice for any aspiring sports dietitian that wants to work with Olympians or just something they should kind of know about before they jump in? Um. Well, you know, it's funny, like in my world, the Olympics is like, that's our prime focus, but I know, um, you know, at some of the NCAA schools or in those settings, it's like, you're either football or you're the Olympics. Okay. And it's revenue generating or it's not. And I think, um, in my experience, and maybe this is just the people that I surround myself with just being on this side is that a lot of times the interns or the fellows are assigned the Olympics uh, the Olympic sports and um, the ones that I've come across, they, they've actually really enjoyed it. Mm. And they've learned a lot about the Olympic sports where maybe, you know, they, they had in mind that they were going to work with some of the, the higher profile revenue generating teams at the university. And then they were throwing this other group of athletes to work with. And um, I think my advice is, you know, to whatever opportunity you're given, do a good job because you never know who's, who's watching who's seeing the work that you're doing, who has a gig open. Um, and, you know, I, I think that that's, that's all areas of sport dietetics is yes, you're in this niche and you're doing the job description that you're assigned, but you never know what job's going to open up and somebody crossed paths with you while you were doing that other job. And they're like, you know what, I, I got something that's open. So, and I, we actually saw it happen uh, at the Olympics. One of my contractors um, was, um, she was at the right place at the right time. And there's somebody looking for a pro, a pro uh, dietitian job opening that they have. And yep, she was in the right place at the right time. So those things happen all the time. I know. I want to be like, what's the best advice for being at the right place in the right time? <laughs> just like, just show up and do a yeah. job and you'll put yourself out there, man. Okay. Yeah, for oh, sure. Awesome. Um, what was I going to ask? I'm considering I'm. Oh, uh, advice oh, for Olympic sports. Yes. Yes. And I think that's true about people like wanting to work with high revenue sports, but then you might get assigned an Olympic sport. But I think also the open mind, which I know we've talked about a lot, but even like I worked with swimming and diving during SNP and I had like no experience because I was like a land sport athlete. And I just have such appreciation for those athletes because it's a sport I 
don't know and would be horrible at, and they're really good at it. So Mm -hmm. I don't know, like stay more curious, but are you diving as well? Nope. Yeah. So swimming and and USA diving are totally separate. Okay. Mm -hmm. What's the towel called for divers? Sammy. Sammy. Yeah. 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 There's like weird things that you'll kind of like learn and appreciate or, (laughs) you know, when I was watching diving, like I understand it now because I had the chance to work with that team during snippet. That wouldn't interest me. You learn a lot. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like for me, when I was winter sport, working with the bobsledders, whole new world, like whole new world. I mean, you're standing at the top of a mountain for hours. Like, it's just all crazy. What's like bobsled nutrition? Like, what do you do? Well, so I always describe it as like, it's like the most testosterone ridden five seconds you'll ever observe. It's just, I mean, you see the start, like that's the biggest thing, right? It's like, you have these huge, strong, massive people running as fast as they can, pushing a sled and then all jumping in it. Um, So a lot of it is like, how strong can you be? How much can you weigh? Now, I have since left working with that sport where they now have weight classes for the ladies like there's weight classes for the sleds and I'm totally going to butcher this because I'm, I'm not well versed in working with that sport anymore but like they they have to be strong but then they have to be within a weight class because the total weight of the sled can only be so much um, and then also too those athletes travel all through Europe in the dead of winter and they have to navigate all of that so they have to figure out their travel nutrition and figure out where they're getting their protein and how they're going to maintain weight, even though they're maybe don't have access to a gym. And I mean, they, yeah, there's like lifestyle, but then also to like a big making weight component. And that's why you're at summer sports. You said not winter. <laughs> I mean, Hey, my passion's in the summer side, nothing against the winter sport. And I, I worked with women's hockey for a number of years oh. and I, loved them it was like a really bad breakup when I was moved over to the summer sport um because I loved being part of a team and I loved the teamness and the culture of of being part of that environment and it was really hard for me to move away from it um but I, I couldn't ice skate and so anytime <laughs> there was like an on ice activity I was like oh, oh god, god. <laughs> oh my god awesome um, most unexpected yet best advice you've received in your career up until this point? Um, yes, I thought about that. So I'll never forget. I was, uh, I don't remember exactly. I think I was interviewing for a job or maybe somebody just showed up. Somebody just showed up to one of my talks that was like a veteran dietitian. And I'm not going to throw their name, but I remember him saying, travel while you still can and move while you can. And I'm like, whatever that means. But yeah, like that's one of the biggest things. And I guess one of my biggest frustrations for young dietitians, when there are opportunities out there and maybe it, it means that you have to move or maybe it means that for three months over the summer, you're gonna have to be away from home. Move while you can, travel while you can because there'll come a point in life where you can't. And, um, I think that's like kind of a natural, um, progression for a lot of dietitians in their careers is that eventually you put roots down somewhere, um, and, uh, taking a job on the East coast or moving to Europe, um, in light of Rob Skinner, just taking a job to Europe, you know, there, there are these, some of these big moves that just aren't realistic anymore, or they're not wherever you are in life, you can't make those moves. But if it's like, oh, well, I have a six month lease and yeah, I can leave. Just consider it. 
and be open to it because I get so many calls from, from young dietitians and I'm sure you do also. How do I get experience? How do, where do I get the, the experience that all these job postings are looking for? Well, you gotta be willing to go find them and go get them as opposed to them coming to you. And, and you know, now being based in Atlanta, you know, we, the, it seems like there's a lot of experiences here, but they're also really awesome experiences elsewhere. Um, and maybe it's a summer internship, maybe it's a year fellowship, but in the grand scheme of things, the amount of stuff that you can learn and something like that, it's worth, it's worth giving up what you got. That's like the security blanket here. Yeah, no, that's really good advice. I think like, it's natural to be like narrowed down because it's like, oh, this is near this or you, when you're younger, it's like, I'm going to stay here forever. Like you just, you don't really, I don't know what it is. Your thought, your mind doesn't work yeah. properly yet. Yeah. But, um, when you actually like, open up the opportunities in your mind, it also like gives you the freedom to like, I don't know, you don't, you, that pressure kind of goes away because you're not being narrow. I don't know if yeah. that makes any sense. Or like when people say, oh, I can't move. Why can't you? Like, what is it? You know, let's talk about it as opposed to, oh, this is just a little scary. So yeah. yeah, I think that's my number one recommendation. Move while you can. Or if you decide like, yeah, I want to move or I can go, I'm going to open up to every opportunity. That's usually where you're going to get the chance to come back home by yeah. opening it up first. Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Ready for the rapid fire round? Okay. Yeah, let's do it. All right. If you could pick any ideal place for the Olympics, where would you pick? Tahiti. I think they're actually going to do surfing in Tahiti. I heard that for the Paris games. Ooh. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But Tahiti, God, that place is beautiful. That'd be amazing. All right. What do people need to know about swimmers? Um, well, I think everybody knows that they're insatiable. Everybody knows that. Like they, I, re I remember walking into the dining hall as a division three swimmer. And I remember people would say, oh gosh, the swim team's here. And everybody would like scurry to get their last helping of food before the swim team came through. But yeah, they're insatiable. All right. If you go to Panera and they ask what side do you want, chips, bread, or apple, what do you choose? Oh man, it depends. I usually get the whole, whole grain baguette. Yes. Wait, okay. Remember that change though? Because it changed uh, that stupid whole, that sprouted roll. <laughs> I haven't been there recently, but no, the baguette was where it was Yeah, at. they don't have the whole grain one. They'll give you some sprouted roll. But oh, yeah, yeah. I would hope, I know we're all dietitians, but it'd be kind of lame if you got the apple. No, dude, it's always like, sorry. Wait, their it? chips are good, by the way. The chips are good, but the apples are never good. You're right. They're like mealy. They're never good. <laughs> all right. True or false. McDonald's only has vanilla ice cream. I think that's true. So Does they go ahead. I thought so too, but yesterday I was at the drive-through. I don't go often now, like I care anyone's judging me. And I have like, a vanilla cone. And she goes, We don't have vanilla, but we have chocolate. And I'm like, sorry, what? Right, that's not an option, right? Usually there are options, there are options now. No, it and so I literally got chocolate soft serve from McDonald's. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. But I just did not I think know. I'm like my whole childhood, I thought they only had vanilla ice cream. So I thought it was just it was just vanilla, but then the flurry just added some variety. Right. And then people always joke that the machine always breaks. 
or something? It's so funny you say that. So, so my husband has a nine-year-old and 11-year-old and I was trying to earn some serious points. This was like four years ago. And I took my step, my stepson to McDonald's to get ice cream. Cause it's like, I want to be so fun. And the machine was broken. <laughs> so that happened to you. Okay. Because oh, totally I was right. laughing because I was talking about it like a few days ago with someone about like, I know people talk about it all the time. I don't even go that often. So I guess it makes sense why it doesn't happen to me. But yesterday when I got the chocolate ice cream, I was like, okay, I understand there's some flaws in the system. It's funny you say it. Last time I went, the ice cream machine was broken. <laughs> Maybe I'll take a poll and ask people if it's been broken on Instagram. I know. I know. Funny. Um, all right. What's the most common false assumption about Olympians and their nutrition? You might've already answered this, but I, I think the false assumption is that obviously because they're an Olympian and they want a medal, that that means that they have everything dialed and that's not the case. <laughs> Sometimes there are some that, that are very, very good at it. And yes, there's been years and years and years of meticulous work to try to make every good decision. But um, I think just as everybody that has a professional sport job, whether it be MLB, NBA, NFL, we can all say like, yes, some of the most talented ones haven't figured it out, but that's why we have jobs and we're, <laughs> and we're there. We're there to focus on stuff that really does make a difference. Do you find it helps with the team culture if like the star athlete on the team is really focused on their nutrition or not really like, or is that more collegiate? It can, it can go both ways, right? Like it could be they're intimidated by it oh. and they feel pressured into it. Now that is something that oh. I, I was blown away. I worked with um, a collegiate team that I thought we were making all this progress. And then the coach came back to me and said, you know, that talk that you gave them where you said, Hey, find your level of commitment to nutrition. And then throughout the season, improve upon it. Like as you get closer to conferences, he's like, that actually backfired. The girls thought that you were questioning your commitment. And they started feeling really self-conscious and resentful of each other about their level of commitment. <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> so it depends. I mean, just nutrition is a culture and it's a, especially within a team setting, it's the environment. And as long as we create a, a healthy, positive environment, you just get, you got to let the team kind of run with it. That's a really good point because I've actually been in a, not a situation, but like, I think people like, you just think, oh, I'll deliver the talk the exact same way I deliver all the talks. And yeah, I kind of just realized like sometimes like, not like not talking is like better, <laughs> but yeah. like, I don't know, like it's not um, a cookie cutter situation and you can be actually doing a really good job without your, like, are like, here's my nutrition talk and like all the curtains, like you don't need to put on a show, like they're already there and they're already good athletes, but yeah. And it's never a one size fits all yeah. like talk or message. Like you got to massage it and you, you never know, you, you never know like what, what's going on in training, what's going on with, you know, maybe the strength and conditioning coach has a whole bunch of expectations or who knows what, but yeah, like from one season to the next, even sometimes you just got to change it up. Yeah. Because, you know, like to go back to your original question on that, like, I mean, I, there was a team that I worked with that the, the captain was all about nutrition, but then she would come in. I'll never forget. She came in and was like, milk is bad. Ooh. And they all listened and they all gave up milk. And now I'm not saying that milk is bad or good or whatever, but I am, I am just like that. Everybody switched. And because it was a drastic change, all of a sudden, we know how that goes, right? Never good you know, because it's like, they're not changing anything else. And so then they all got under recovered 
overtrained because they weren't replacing it with something. They weren't making proactive, well, if I'm going to remove this, then I'll add something else in. And so, yeah, like when there's that one leader, that's a lot of responsibility. Wow. I'm grateful for what I have. I don't want to milk hater right now. <laughs> no, right. Like that can also backfire. Yeah. What was it? Game Changers when that thing came out? Yeah. That, that documentary, like it's just a message. It just makes everybody do crazy. Yeah. But that's a good point too, because like, I feel like if you're probably a younger dietitian, you might come off to an athlete like, okay, like this documentary, you can't be careful. Like, and you might come off like very not defensive, but it's, it's the first time you're doing it. Where like, I remember it came out two years ago. I was a dietitian for like three or four years and you don't like right away be like, okay, don't do it. You say, how can we like help you work through these changes, but in a way that's going to support you. But I feel like that's kind of a good message for like anything you do, but it's not like game changers is bad. It's like, okay, let's like debunk this and work through it and I'm going to help you, but you're not stupid for watching it, you know, right. or whatever. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a huge takeaway. Just exactly as you said there, like, you can't be ready for the next thing that comes out. You'll never be ready. Who knows what's going to come up next in the field of nutrition and dietetics. You, just, yeah. you have to be ready to like pivot and like be nimble and as you said, be able to talk through it. I'm afraid you know, I'm going to walk into work tomorrow and someone's going to be like, no more something. I, I know. See, you never know, right? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right. Ready for the last question? Okay. I think so. If you could tell your younger RD self one thing, what would you say? Um, you'll never, you'll never know everything just as we were just talking about. Um, you'll never like have the immediate answer to every question. Um, and, uh, I remember thinking like in that world of dietary supplements, when am I going to know all this information to be able to figure out if this is a good or a bad supplement? Like when, when am I going to be on top of it that I could just easily answer that question? And I, I think, um, you know, we practice in, in a science, it's nutrition sciences and food sciences where things are constantly evolving and we're gaining more information. And I think we just, we're all students of the trade. And um, I think that's, that's the other thing is that uh, being humble enough to admit that we're all students and we're always learning, especially, you know, from each other and from our colleagues that maybe someone has a, a specialty in an area that I don't. And being humble to go and ask them and say, I don't have any experience in this. Tell me what you know. Um, so yeah, we're all students of the trade. I love that. That's really good. It's like when you're younger and you've, you learn something for the first time, you're like, oh my God, like I should have known that. And you like freak out, but it's like, okay, take a deep breath. Yeah. Look it up. Like, don't ask me why yeah. looking up didn't even come after. There was no deep breath. Take a deep breath. Yeah. Look it up call yep. a few friends yep. and then answer back the email within yes. 48 hours. But it does uh, not go that way for yes. years one, two. Wait, I remember I emailed Ellen Coleman when I was a newbie baby dietitian. I emailed her and I said, what calcium supplement do you recommend? And I was blown away when she responded, but I was like, oh my gosh, she's real. But I was so glad. I mean, and so anytime someone emails me any questions like that, I'm like, I want to be the Ellen Coleman that is always there to answer and just at least give my feedback or, hey, in my experience, this works. Maybe things have changed, but you know, so. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It was great having you on and learning about the behind the scenes of the Olympic Games. Yes. Yes. Well, thanks for having me. I was looking forward to it. Awesome. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you. You too.
thank you so much for listening to this episode on Sports Artie Snippets. I hope you found our conversation helpful today. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify. Share the podcast or tell another sports RD to be or sports dietitian about it. If you can rate and review the podcast, it really helps the show and is much appreciated. Remember to follow along on Instagram at Sports RD Snippets to see what Sports RD guest is featured each week. I'm super excited to bring on my upcoming guests, so stay tuned. I'm Liz Waluka, and thanks so much for listening.